Hey everybody, I know it's really bright in here. Just a quick content warning. This um, description by HK of his experience in jury duty gets pretty graphic in some places. And if that's not for you, that's not for you. We're not going to get mad if you don't watch or listen. HK, before we get on to the next piece of content, we'll spend a few minutes maybe talking about your adventure in jury duty, if that's okay. Yes. Uh, so... I have been for for one month today. One month ago today was the first day of my jury duty, uh, and since that time, up until two days ago, I've been on the jury or in, uh, you know, in the in the jury box or in the deliberation room, uh, and there were a lot of nights where I could barely sleep because it was really difficult uh it it was difficult for a number of reasons uh but like i had like i came on this show a couple times on like red light during my jury duty and at that time it was before uh i really started to have a lot of uh like not anxiety. That's not the right word. Maybe it was anxiety. I don't really know. Uh, but I started to, it was, it was very difficult to process. Uh, and it's, it was, um, it was after like the time, the last time I was on this show, I didn't come back on this show because every night, uh, I would get, out of jury duty and I'd come home and I'd be absolutely fucking drained. Uh, I would go to bed at around nine o'clock, like maybe eight thirty or nine o'clock and I'd wake up at around three or four o'clock and I would not be able to go back to sleep. So I would just be awake from like three in the morning until nine in the morning. I was at the courthouse and I'd start the, the daily process over again. Um, it was, yeah, it, it was very difficult and it was, so the, the defendant was charged with murder in the first degree and burglary. Uh, and the reason it was murder in the first degree is because of the felony murder rule where if, if someone dies during a a burglary that or during a, a felony that you are committing, if you're committing a felony and someone dies as a result of what you're doing during that felony, uh, that's first degree murder, regardless of how it happens. You know, you could be robbing a bank and if someone, if a teller had a heart attack and dropped dead while you were robbing the bank, that is first degree murder because of the felony murder rule. Uh, this was uh, this was much more difficult than someone dying of a heart attack. So what happened was, and I, I believe that the defendant was guilty. So I'm going to talk about it from the perspective of the defendant being guilty. Uh, sometimes I'll try and say uh, the perpetrator instead of the defendant if I can remember to, but just so you understand, if I do say defendant, I did think that the defendant was guilty of both burglary and murder. 
so what happened is the the perpetrator broke into a house. Uh, the door was left open, so they 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 didn't force entry into the house, but they weren't supposed to be in the house. So they they entered the house to steal items. So that is burglary by definition. If you enter a building in order to like, if you enter a building that you're not allowed to be in to steal items, that is burglary. Uh, rifled around a whole bunch of drawers, uh, took various items. And this is what I believe is the, the, uh, series of events that unfolded during that time. There was a man, the owner of the house asleep on his couch. This is the victim. The victim, I think, awoke or stirred or s somehow his presence became known to the perpetrator. And the perpetrator stabbed him in the neck twice. And one of those stab wounds severed his carotid artery and his jugular vein. So the victim didn't even get off of the couch. You know, it, it happened that fast, you know, probably the victim was dead within 10 seconds of being stabbed. Uh, and what I think happened because there was the defendant's DNA on the victim's hand on his left hand uh, and there was also a lot of the victim's own blood on his left hand, uh, even though his left hand was positioned far away from his neck. What I think happened is the victim hit the, the hand of the perpetrator, and that also would explain the shape of one of the wounds. It was in the shape of like a V, like the the perpetrator stabbed the victim and his if his hand was hit that could explain why it had that odd shape and the other wound just had a straight shape it looked like you know just a stab wound uh so then there was a trail of blood from that couch which was downstairs going upstairs to the master bathroom and we know that the perpetrator was up near the master bathroom because there were closets near that bathroom that items were stolen from. And there wasn't blood on those items. So I believe that before he encountered the victim, he rummaged around there and knew that there was a bathroom there. Because uh, there was also a downstairs bathroom, but he didn't use the downstairs bathroom. He used the upstairs bathroom. So he went upstairs. There was a trail of blood leading upstairs. And when he entered the toilet room, when he turned on the lights, either he turned them on or turned them off or whatever. But, you know, at some point he deposited a bloody handprint on the light switch. And in the screw on that light switch was the victim's blood and the defendant's DNA. So that's another point in the house that had the defendant's DNA. Uh, and in that 
toilet room, there was a toilet that the lid was open and inside the bowl of the toilet was a, a, a very short ginger ale can. Uh, like you take a regular can and you squish it halfway. That's the size of this ginger ale can. And there were several other of those ginger ale cans in the refrigerator. And those cans came from the victim's wife's work. The wife uh, worked at a place that would give away these cans, you know, stock them for the employees. And she would take them home and the victim would drink them. So inside the bowl of this toilet was one of these cans that had been drunk and crushed and thrown in the toilet and inside the mouth of that can they swabbed that for dna and the defendant's dna was in that can in the toilet so you've now got three places in the house all with the defendant's dna one being on the victim's hand, another being in a trail of blood that led to the third, which is a can of soda in the toilet. Uh, and I think what happened then was the perpetrator took a piss, threw the can in, flushed the toilet, and left. You know, packed up his things and left. Because the the toilet, when you flush that toilet, it would keep running and the wife explained on the stand that she knew that the water would keep running and the husband knew the victim knew that the water would keep running and they both knew how to stop it you had to jiggle the handle but the perpetrator did not know how to stop it so it was left running so that was a lot of the evidence uh, there were, there were some other pieces of evidence that were corroborating, but I didn't consider them, um, what drove me to vote guilty. They were, uh, so the, what the victim's cell phone was stolen and, uh, the defendant did not have a car. The defendant at the time of this murder and burglary was homeless living on the streets and he did not have a car so he was walking around the area and all of the location data from the cell towers from that phone the victim's phone showed that that phone stayed within that area stayed within several blocks of the the victim's home so the phone didn't move far away so that's corroborating evidence for the um that's corroborating evidence for the the defendant being the perpetrator. Um, another thing was he was stopped in he was stopped a few days after the the incident by police somewhere else for something unrelated. And at the time that he was stopped, uh, he fled the police. They were telling him to stop, and he jumped over a barbed wire fence and kept fleeing from the police and they brought in a helicopter and they were eventually able to apprehend him. And we don't know why he was being arrested, but ultimately he wasn't charged based on that stop. Uh, but that to me is corroborating evidence like that, that shows that his mind knew he was guilty. Like he knew 
that he was guilty, so he fled from the police. Enough that he jumped over a, a barbed wire fence. Uh, so that, like, to me, that all of that evidence was overwhelming. Uh, and on top of that, he also confessed to the murder. Uh, he confessed to the murder and he confessed to the burglary. Uh, when they, when the detective that was working on the case got a, a DNA hit from the DNA in the can, uh, they were able to find him and apprehend him. And he, you know, he was shown this evidence and he was, uh, he confessed to the, the murder and to stealing the items. Uh, so to me, like this is an open shut case, open and shut case. Uh, but once we entered deliberation, uh, there were other jurors who did not feel that way. There was one juror in particular who felt that they were convinced a hundred percent that the confession was a false confession. Uh, they were a hundred percent convinced and they weren't going to change their mind. Uh, we deliberated for five days, uh, like five days of deliberation. There was a weekend in between, but ultimately five days of deliberation and at the end of it, we, we were split six to six on the murder charge, which is astonishing to me that there were six people out of that jury that didn't think that that evidence was entirely overwhelming. Uh, and we were even split on the burglary charge, which is strange we were split 10 to 2 on the burglary charge so there were two people that weren't even convinced that the guy was in the house so yeah so what was um, the argument of the <clears throat> the dissenters like what was what was the argument of the people who wanted to vote or voted not guilty like what was their they argued that it it was a reasonable explanation for the events that the the defendant had uh th so first that the victim had placed the ginger ale can outside that the defendant had come by and drank out of it and put it back down outside and then that the victim had grabbed it uh gotten the defendant's dna on his hand went upstairs to the upstairs toilet room through the toilet through the can into his own toilet uh, used the, the light switch, getting the, the defendant's DNA on the light switch, then gone back downstairs, started taking a nap, and then another unrelated person came into the home and committed the burglary and the murder. That's, that's wild. That's wild. I, I, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I wasn't there, but I'm, you know, I, think you're generally a fairly trustworthy person and i think that the events of the you know unfolded 
more or less the way that you're you're describing them and that's that's just wild that's wild um yeah to me that that's so unreasonable because it's like okay well how do you explain the trail of blood from the victim to the upstairs bathroom with the bloody handprint on the light switch right because the and they said well the the real killer could have taken the same path and put his hand on the light switch and not transferred dna it's like what the fuck yeah because the injury you're describing doesn't sound like the kind of stair climbing uh, injury yeah so there was a like the the defense made the argument that maybe the the victim had had a nosebleed earlier and that would explain the blood the trail of blood but there wasn't uh, there wasn't a whole lot of evidence that he did have a nosebleed. He did have a like a, a cloth in his back pocket, and they showed that the cloth was bloody in in the uh, in the pictures from the autopsy. But you could see when they were handling his body, they had pictures of when they were handling his body. You could see that cloth, and it wasn't bloody at the time that they were handling his body. So someone had clearly pushed that cloth back into his pocket with a bloody glove and deposited blood onto that cloth and i brought that up and that didn't change these jurors minds that sounds wild i want to i have a couple questions about uh the the selection process i would think that um either side would have reason to not want you on the jury um i mean i think that as soon as like they fa- like as soon as they found out about this podcast i'd have thought you got kicked they didn't ask about the podcast. They didn't ask like about like any of your like, mm, that's weird. You, I would think that, that, I don't know, I guess maybe there's ways in which it wouldn't come up, but I would think that, I would think that asking if like, are you, do you do any, are you a member of the media in any kind of way? I think those would be fairly standard questions. No, they didn't ask about that. That's weird. I would think those would be fairly standard questions. And somebody who talks politics on a podcast would get yeeted from the jury pretty quick. But I guess maybe maybe they I asked, mean I've I've never been in a jury selection, so I've only ever seen like dramatizations on TV of it. So maybe the kinds of questions yeah. that you're asked aren't really what I've seen on television dramatizations of jury selection. Yeah. They did ask about um uh, like if we had any particular problem with homeless people or if we had any uh particularly strong feelings about homeless people. And I didn't say anything because I don't really like I, I do think that homelessness is a problem that we should solve, but right, your I'm problem not going is to that judge the, the, someone. Your, your problem with it is a systemic problem, not with individual homeless people. Yeah, like I would never judge someone for being homeless uh, and it it didn't affect my it didn't affect my decision in judging the defendant. Uh like the the fact that he was homeless played no part in my determination of the facts. I just that's I that's fucking amazing that the fact that you are on a not for nothing like like a a fairly popular podcast. Like it just never it never came up during selection. I know that like that's not what it's not what you wanted to talk about. You wanted to talk about the case and how you were kind of frustrated with the other jurors. But I feel like that's weird, weird as fuck. Because if I was a, like, I would just think that I would, one of the first questions would be like, are you a member of the media in any sort of way? Something like that. 
Like, I think that would be... Yeah, they never asked that. Because if they asked if you were a member uh, of the media, you would have had to t- tell them about your previous podcast in this one. Yeah, I would have told them. I can't believe they uh, did that. I would, I would have ask. told them I am an amateur member of the media. Uh, but they asked me what my profession was, so I told them, you know, I'm a software engineer, and I own and run my own business right now. So Yeah, because this certainly yeah. isn't your profession, so... <laughs> I think you actually pay to be yeah. on the podcast, so it's the opposite of a profession. <laughs> yep. you're, you're a patron, so <laughs> well, this is my hobby. That was that was that was good. That was you know, I'm glad you you know that we were able to provide you a space to talk about it, and you didn't scare off the um, the raiders. Uh, raiders, we don't we're not it's not usually dark and deep around here like that. But uh, you know, if you're just here and you're new here, do follow. Uh, we do talk about serious issues, and this was a pretty serious issue. So it was a mistrial. It ended up being a mistrial yes. on both counts. Yes, it was a mistrial on both counts. Um, so they they are going to retry him. Yikes. Uh, yeah. So, well, that was a harrowing experience. Luckily for you, you're not going to be on a jury for a good little while after that. The odds are pretty slim. One of the, uh, did, they, did they ask during the questioning if you've been on a jury recently? Yes. Yeah, they asked if I had ever been on a jury. Yeah, they'll, and they'll, I said no. I've never been on a jury. In the future, they'll probably the truth. if you get to the questioning part, if you if you tell them about this jury experience, you'll get kicked. Possibly, uh, there were a couple other jurors that had been on juries before, uh, but because this was uh, a pretty big case. Uh, you know, they, they might ask like, what kind of case was it? Uh, and I would say it's a criminal case. And then they might ask like, what were the charges? And I would say murder and burglary. Uh, but as far as I know, uh, when they were asking the other jurors, what kind of case was it? They were only asking, was it criminal or civil? Right. They didn't ask, uh, what kind of, uh, they didn't ask what, the charges were and they also asked did you come to a conclusion uh not you know like what was the conclusion just did you come to a did you reach a consensus or not i mean uh, i guess cool is the wrong yeah. word um it sounds frustrating and it sounds like it sounds like you were exposed to imagery that would keep people up at night i mean it's not you know, you're supposed to be in there. Uh, dis- you're supposed to be difficult. in there trying to be dispassionate and shit. But you start you start to see that the kind of imagery you were describing. It's really hard to just kind of. Yeah, um, there were a lot of photos of of the wounds. There were a lot of photos of the crime scene, uh, and we had to listen to the wife's nine one one call uh, while she was on the stand too, uh, and while the the victim's son was sitting in the in the audience seats and that was hard. Like, like seeing, seeing the victim's son, like breaking down in tears, listening to the stepmom talk about, uh, listening to the stepmom on the nine one one call, describing what she's seeing, uh, is, is heartbreaking. Yeah, and yeah, it all, it all sounds pretty bad, and uh, 
yeah, I can see why you couldn't be on any of the shows. And uh, I, I also understand like when I ran that Austin Bennett thing, you're like, I got to shut the fuck up. This is about somebody's court case. Yeah. But don't worry if you stay late tonight, we're going to Austin Bennett's uh, case is tomorrow. Actually, he goes to court tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And he's been doing some, we could do that first. Actually. Um, it would it would be nice to see a, a legal case that that is much lighter than the one I've been exposed to recently. Absolutely. Let's see. Uh, but yeah, this is actually the, the most in-depth I've gone into about this case without crying. So go me. It's getting easier to talk about. Good, good. Yeah, it sounds 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 traumatizing. I mean, obviously not nothing compared to the victim's family and their friends and whatnot, but seriously. I mean, the reason that I have cried before uh, while talking about this, uh, I, I won't go into all the reason, but the main reason is that I feel like I wasn't able to provide justice to the family, to the wife, to the kids, uh, and to the victim. Uh, and I, I fought really hard I fought really hard to to convince the other jurors like this this scenario that you're building with you know the the victim throwing things away in his own toilet and and some other person coming in and committing the murder and then taking the same path as the as the victim carrying up this can to the toilet none of that makes sense and you know I I couldn't convince them um, so ultimately it will have to be retried, but yeah, it was very difficult. Sounds like it. You'll probably remember this one for the rest of your life, my dude. Yeah, I definitely will. <laughs>